Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we're wrapping up our series, Keeping It Local, Leaning Into Discipleship in Your Local Context with a conversation on humility in discipleship. You guys, I wish I'd had this conversation 10 years ago. As you know, throughout this series, we have talked with women from my own local church, and today I get to share with you two more of my favorites, Megan Eshbaugh and Susie Motter. Megan, Susie, and I talked about what it means to walk in humility as we share not only the gospel, but our very lives so that we might learn more of what it means to follow Christ as we do life together. I can't wait to share this conversation with you all, but before we go there, I want to share the sponsors who help make it possible for us to do so. The Dwell app, Pine Cove, and Crossway. Crossway's purpose as a not-for-profit ministry is to publish gospel-centered resources that honor Christ and serve the church. They're dedicated to producing products that enrich personal and group study of scripture. Such resources are necessary as Christians are to be rooted in the gospel, renew their minds in the truth, and rest in God's sovereignty. Women today are exhausted from this age of self-empowerment. As a result, female mental and emotional health is in crisis mode and needs a remedy. In a recently released book, Enough About Me, Jen Oshman encourages women facing disappointment or disillusionment to root their identity in Christ and what he has done for them. Oshman calls women to look away from themselves in order to find the abundant life God offers them, contrasting the cultural emphasis on personal improvement and empowerment with what the scriptures say about a life rooted, built up, and established in the gospel. Now, through March 16th, Journeywoman listeners can pick up Enough About Me for 40% off with a free Crossway Plus membership. Just head over to crossway.org JW2 for more info. That's crossway.org JW2. Hey, before we move into today's conversation, I want to give you the heads up that we are breaking until March 30th to give you guys time to catch up on past episodes while we record for our upcoming series. All right, without further delay, on to my conversation with Susie and Megan. Today I have with me my friend Megan and my friend Susie. Welcome to my home. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming. You guys are so dear to me. We have been doing life together, I guess only for six months, but to me, it feels a lot longer when you go through a flood in your house, when Megan's over here packing boxes, when your house smells like mildew, when you're recording journey women episodes in Susie's house and you're sitting around together doing community group and stuff like that every other week. It's just been an absolute joy to get to do life with you guys. And I've learned so much from you in such a short period of time. And I know that the journey women listeners are going to learn so much from you even in this short 60 minutes. I'd love for them to get to hear a little bit more about who you are before we get started. So Susie, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, I am a mom of three kids. They are all in school-aged range right now. And I also counsel part-time for CCEF New England. Woot woot. Mm-hmm. And you guys have a wonderful house really close to campus, do a lot of discipleship just in welcoming students in from Dartmouth. You guys lead a community group in our church, and I have the blessing of being a part of that community group. Yeah, we love having you there. Oh, Megan, how about you? 
I'm a wife. I have three children, 16, 13, and 10. I'm a mom of two teenagers. I teach preschool. I love three and four-year-olds. And um, I'm a Texan living in New Hampshire. I was going to add that in if you mm. failed to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be able to tell. <laughs> All the solidarity for me. So thankful for that. Uh, the Lord knows. He cares. He sees. So, yes, I've mentioned this already, but you guys have discipled me in such a short period of time. I know a lot of times people feel like you have to have a lot of time under your belt before you can find women in your local context to be investing in you. But man, you guys uh, have just really thrown down the gauntlet for me and what it looks like to invest in younger women just organically and as you do life. I couldn't think of two people who I'd rather have on to talk about this topic. I know you guys are thoughtful about this because I experience it from you. This is actually the first time we've shared a more intentional conversation on the topic. But what should be central in our discipleship relationships? Megan. Well, obviously, Christ, humility and love, grace, gentleness, meeting people where they are, just living authentically, counseling biblically, and you know, speaking grace seasoned with love. Um, you have totally done that for me. <laughs> well, especially in Bible study, it's been crazy to see how the Lord has gone before me, even in similar situations that we faced mm-hmm. navigating hardships and you just sharing what you've gone through in your life, not even knowing that it was going to meet me exactly where I was. And that's been such a blessing to me. Susie, you do that too. What do you think about as central as you are intentionally engaging women with the hope of just communicating the gospel to them and loving them where they are and helping them know more of who Jesus is? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when I was thinking about this, humility is a big one, both for the person being discipled and the person maybe in the mature, more mature place of being the discipler. You know, even you, I think um, when you moved here, you were humble enough to just quickly jump in and ask for friendship and relationship. And actually, the first time I ever talked to you, I was in the grocery store and you called me out of the blue. I had no idea who you were because somehow you got my name. I did not expect you to answer your phone. Like who answers the unknown number these days? Especially when you're walking through the grocery store (laughs) um, trying to figure out what yogurt to get. But you pursued people from the get go. And I think there's a humility in that of knowing I need someone to come alongside me. Um, And then there's a humility in the person doing the discipling of knowing uh, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together, but I have something, the the spirit's working in me and I have something that I can give in this relationship. And and I think another thing that I've thought a lot about is incarnating Jesus's love, not only just in what we say, but in what we do and how we live life together um, and really showing the fullness of his grace and truth in kind of every aspect of our lives as we live in relationship with people. Yes and yes. I love this idea of humility because as I was thinking through like how I have grown in this process of seeking to entrust what I have learned with other women, I would say humility is probably the area that I have grown the most in because when I first started trying to share what I was learning, I was not quite so humble. In fact, I was a lot more self-reliant and a lot more independent in the way I went about that, it places a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. on the people Mm -hmm. who are coming alongside you. And I think inadvertently uh, sends the message like, hey, I want you to be more like me than I look at me and look at the way I do this as opposed to like, look at Jesus. Like I have nothing to offer you but Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a humble position that I really hope to maintain as I go about spending time with other women. So I think that really fleshes itself out 
in the way that we understand who we are. And I think that's why I've grown in that. Cause the more I walk with Jesus, the more I know my need for him. Mm. And it begs the question, how is discipleship more of an identity than an activity? Yeah, I actually love that question. And when I first started thinking about it, I wasn't really sure. And then as I kept thinking, I realized, well, actually, it is completely an identity. And if it were only an activity, I think I would hardly do discipleship. Because quite frankly, I think all of us are so busy and Mm -hmm. our time is limited, that if we tried to add discipleship on as an extra activity, it wouldn't fit in. But when you take discipleship as an identity or part of your lifestyle, discipleship follows you almost wherever you go. So you can be discipling people when you bump into them at the grocery store, or you can be discipling people when you're taking your dog for a walk and you ask another person to join you in that outing because, you know, it's the only time you're going to be able to have with them. I do think there's a big difference between thinking about discipleship as an activity versus an identity. I remember when I was in college and there's a lot of discipleship programs or uh, Mm -hmm. early in my Christian life, churches were really on the discipleship kind of program bandwagon and it made it seem like this other thing but I think when we look in the scriptures especially in the great commission all of us are called to discipleship and it's a part of our life Jesus isn't saying add on an hour for you to meet with somebody that's a great thing to do but discipleship and making disciples is a lifestyle uh, once you become a believer in trying to point yourself and others toward Jesus as you walk together Amen and amen. And you've actually done that really well with me because when you think about it, like, yes, we do have community group every other week. And yes, we sit together in Bible study every week, but we haven't like had like a formal sit down time where we talk about like, oh, you know, Susie intentionally invest in me. It's been a lot more like you welcoming me into your home and sharing supper together and different things like that. So I love how you do that as you go. And I would consider you to have mentored me even though we have not shared a formal sit down Mm -hmm. hour long time that we have distinguished as our discipleship time. Right. Right. (laughs) What do you think, Megan? It's definitely your identity in Christ. It's not what I've done it's what he's done for me. It's living in a view of eternity. It has to be rooted in our love for Christ and that in return helps us love others. And the gospel is my motivation. It's not what I do. It's more about loving others where they are and Not exactly my knowledge of skill, but um, the power of God working within me and just prayerfully depending on him in that. I also love that question because I think of it as an activity a lot of Mm -hmm. times, like what can I do? And I have to stop and remind myself, it's not what I do. It's what he's already done for me. And that helps me to move forward and being intentional with others and and living in light of him, not in light of myself. Mm -hmm. When I think about parenting as a form of discipleship, There's some verses in the Bible that I think we gravitate toward in parenting, like Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 9. And we often think of that verse or that passage just in light of parenting, but I really think we can apply it to discipleship and really see how discipleship is all of life. Mm -hmm. And so those verses say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children or anybody that you're caring for. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So that passage just really shows me and and speaks to me that my life in whatever I'm doing is always flavored with discipleship of pointing 
myself and others toward Christ. I absolutely love those verses and love the reminder that those are, that we're engaging in this activity because of who we are, because of what he's done to us and for us. Mm -hmm. It's something that we do in the same way that I am a mother and I mother. Right. I am a disciple and I make disciples because of what he's done. One of the ways that I've seen you guys engage me intentionally with the aim of helping me better understand how the gospel applies to whatever it is that I'm facing in my life is through asking questions. A lot of times that just happens kind of organically as we're doing life together, like you mentioned, Susie. But I know that you also think about this intentionally, particularly with your background in counseling Mm -hmm. and things like that. How do we use question asking as a teaching tool in discipleship? I think it's really important to ask questions, partly because when we think of discipleship, we often have people in kind of two categories of the discipler and then the one being discipled. And in that kind of power structure, sometimes the person being discipled can look at the discipler and say, just tell me what I should do. Tell me what the next step is, what's the right thing to do, and I'll do it. And we kind of want to simplify it. But a good discipler, someone who really wants to come alongside someone, isn't going to just tell them what to do but is going to ask them questions and guide them and lead them towards seeking the wisdom of God on their own. Uh, I think it's the difference between giving someone a fish and teaching them to fish. If we just tell them, you know, oh, what's your problem? Oh, this is what I think you should do. Then we're not training people up in seeking the Lord and becoming dependent upon him. But in asking questions, we can guide them toward, what do you think the scriptures would say about this? Or, you know, have you talked to other people about it? Or you can ask questions that will guide them and lead them towards seeking wisdom on their own. It's really cool to see how Jesus went about doing that with his disciples. Yeah, all the time he was asking people questions. And I'm just sitting here like, come on, just give me the answer. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You know, I think you bring up a good point in that if the Bible was simply a book that told us what to do, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't be dependent upon him. But because we're people who have lots of questions and sometimes they go unanswered, that actually makes us lean into him. I think it's actually one of God's graces to us that we don't know everything, that we can't just spout off wisdom, but we have to be people who ask questions of one another because that makes us need Jesus first and foremost, but also the whole body of Christ um, as we kind of recognize our place of humility and and needing help and needing him to guide us. Uh Mm. I love that. It's about the heart, getting to the heart, um, getting past the surface, you know, taking down the walls and um, getting to the to the heart of who the person really is. Uh-huh. I feel like you do that really simply, by the way. And I don't mean that to I'm diminish. I'm a simple person. Yeah, but I, I think that's really encouraging to women who are kind of considered, you know, the older woman that it can be really simple. Like you just had me over for lunch and you're like, well. Tell me about yourself. And Welcome to New I'm Hampshire. I'm pretty sure I didn't stop talking for one hour. <laughs> uh, really great way to get to the heart of uh, someone. What are some helpful questions on that topic that we could use to maybe help us spiritually assess where somebody's at? Like, say you're meeting somebody for the first time. You don't even know if they're a disciple of Christ. What kind of questions would you ask in that instance? And what kind of questions would you ask somebody who's in your community group that you've been doing life alongside for a really long time who you're wanting to just kind of, I don't know, illuminate maybe 
areas in which they need to uh, trust the work of the gospel in their life more. For the person I don't know that well, you know, it, like you said, I'm very simple. Tell me your story. Tell, you know, tell me, tell me what you love. Tell me how you love. I think for those that I've been walking side by side with for a long time, there's deeper questions of um, how are you feeding your soul? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you before the Lord? How are you as a, a wife? How are you as a mom? How are you as a friend? What is God up to in your heart? I feel loved just by hearing these. <laughs> like, I want to think about these things. Yeah, it's it, a lot of times it's the Holy Spirit moving me. Sometimes I don't, you know, know what I'm going to ask. He just moves me and I ask. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, what would you like God to accomplish in your heart? And where do you need his presence the more? And a lot of times these questions come from questions I'm asking myself or maybe questions I want others to ask me. Yeah, so good. Yeah. All of what Megan said. And the only thing I would add to that, two questions that I use a lot, uh, one for someone who I don't know that well, and I'm, you know, maybe just getting to know them and trying to figure out um, where they're coming from is, you know, tell me about your faith background or what your family faith background is. Uh Um, That seems like an awkward question to ask out of the blue. But usually there's an opportunity for me to already have been speaking a little bit about my own faith background, or maybe even just mentioning the church I go to or something like that. And then coming from that context, it doesn't feel nearly as awkward. Um, It feels quite natural and just uh, more like, tell me about you. And people feel cared for when we ask questions about them. And then another question that's one of my go-to questions, it's kind of like my saving grace question for whenever I feel stuck and not sure about what God's up to in this person's life and the particular situation that they're struggling with is um, a question that my mentor used to ask me all the time. She said, what does it look like for you to love God and love your neighbor in this situation? Mm. And that seemed to just boil all of the complexity of the problem down so nicely for me to think very concretely about how am I going to love God and love my neighbor in whatever the problem is that I'm facing. And so I use that question with people all the time. Mm such a helpful thing for me even to think through today uh i know you guys have seen simple attitudes over here <laughs> for sure how do you address simple attitudes this is with someone who you know is following christ who desires to walk in greater obedience to him when you see sin in their life how do you address that with the grace of the gospel and what might the first steps that you're taking to come alongside them in that look like you know, this is maybe a Sunday school answer, but the first step should be thinking about the log and the speck before we even consider moving towards someone to help them see their own sin. We really need to take a deep and hard look at our own sin and consider what's my heart doing in this situation? How am I blind, perhaps? Or how am I judging that person actually because of something ugly in my own heart? Mm. Yeah, I just failed Sunday school, and uh, now I'm done being disciple for today because I need to think about that for the next hour. So, I, I, you know, for me, that's the first step. And then kind of similarly, I really, before I move towards someone and wanting to point out, you know, maybe a simple attitude in them, I really want to make sure that my foundation in that conversation is love and wanting the best for them. I don't think people can hear and respond well to their sin being pointed out if there's any thought that this person might be against me. But when we are for someone and we can really have a solid foundation of love in that relationship, then those words can be heard and could be processed and considered without defensiveness. But when there's any hint of 
kind of a competitive nature or a judgment or something like that, it's much harder for the person you're speaking to to, to really hear uh, your thoughts. That's a good word. I would agree. I think the first step is always being vulnerable yourself and, and going to that person. Which and, you do such a great job mm-hmm. at. Well, I used to not always be this way. Um, this I is a, why I like you to talk, though, because I think it does break down barriers when you are freely sharing. Mm. And I probably err to sharing too much. <laughs> I've talked about that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> uh, but, but like, I appreciate that in you because by nature of you sharing, you're offering of yourself and welcoming others to do likewise. Mm, yeah, it has not come easy. It has taken a lot of time. But at this point, it's like, I got nothing to lose here. You know, I, I think Which that's is the first step. Well, for a Texan in New well England. that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been here 15 years. It's taken a long time. <laughs> but I think just that vulnerability piece of like, me too. Like, like Susie was saying, like, I have a log in my eye before I take the speck out of yours. Like, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of grace just as much as you. And I think a lot of times for me, it goes back to asking questions of that person Mm -hmm. and letting them kind of come to the conclusion of like, oh, you know, a lot of times it's that aha moment of like, they see it before I even have to say anything. It's just asking and going deeper and being like, tell me more, tell me more. Is there something I'm missing? Is there something I didn't ask you? And a lot of times they do come to the conclusion and they see it themselves first. And then I can walk beside them humbly and say, yeah, me too. I've struggled with that. Or if I haven't struggled with that, I'm here for you. I'm not going Mm -hmm. anywhere. I'm here to fight for you. Mm -hmm. And I care enough to ask you these hard questions. Mm -hmm. I really like what you said about asking them questions. And I think that's so important because one of the ways that we can be, I don't know, go about this the wrong way is we can assume that other people are like us. And so we might see something in their lives and make this assumption of, well, if that's happening, then I bet they're having Mm -hmm. these heart, like sinful heart tendencies, or I bet their motivations are this or that, or I bet it's affecting them this way. When quite frankly, it might not be, that might be how we would respond in that situation, but they're different than us. And so it's good to ask questions so that we're not assuming that they're going to have the same sin tendencies that we might have in their situation. Mm-hmm. Or even that the same response that they need to have to whatever problem it is they're processing or facing is the same that has worked for you in the past. Right. Because right? each situation is so unique. And I think asking questions just saves, ultimately saves a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now that all of you want to move to Hanover so that you can hang out with Susie and Megan, I'm going to tell you about the sponsors who helped make it possible for me to share them with you today, the Dwell app and Pine Cove. Have you started using Dwell, the new audio Bible app recommended by tons of Bible teachers, including Matt Chandler, Ann Voskamp, and Jenny Allen? Dwell's mission is to transform the way that you experience scripture. For busy moms, college students, those of you commuting to and from work every day, whatever your season of life, Dwell helps us have the words of God read over us throughout the day. This gorgeous audio Bible app comes with four unique narrators, peaceful background music, and loads of other features, including a release coming this month with huge search improvements and the ability to favorite passages. Dwell has been called the Spotify of Scripture because of how easy it is to explore the Bible. Browse popular passages or curated playlists that include select verses by theme. They offer listening plans to help you cultivate a habit of seeking God in Scripture every day. 
Dwell is unique in that you can switch voices and background music on the fly without losing your place in the audio. This week, Dwell is generously giving our listeners 33% off an annual subscription to the app. Visit dwellapp.io slash journeywomen to get your discount and start using your ears to renew your mind. That's dwellapp.io slash journeywomen for 33% off an annual subscription. Our other sponsor for today's episode is Pine Cove. You guys, are you looking for a place where your child can unplug from all the electronics and distractions and experience true connection and community? Pine Cove is a Christ-centered, others-focused, and seriously fun summer camp. They even offer day camps available through church partners across the southeastern United States. Through hilarious skits, silly camp names, and wildly exciting activities, Pine Cove cultivates a sense of adventure in shy kiddos and helps others overcome personal fears and challenges, all while increasing problem-solving skills and self-awareness. And most importantly, your child will learn the gospel from some of the most fun and engaging college summer staff. Their influence as Christian role models and mentors reaches far beyond camp, and your child will feel seen, known, and loved. My summers on staff at Pine Cove truly changed my life. Register now to get an affordable monthly payment plan at pinecove.com and use the code JOURNEY250 for $250 off a first-time overnight youth camp registration. Make this a summer your child will remember forever. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Susie and Megan. It seems like it takes more time to ask questions instead of tell, but a lot of times then we're having to go back and rehash and right. mm-hmm. correct ourselves. And right. so it's really something that I aspire to grow in. I also aspire to grow in humility, like you talked about at the beginning of the episode. As I've grown in humility by God's grace, as I continue to walk with him, I am less afraid of people asking hard questions of me as someone who is you know, seeking to invest in the women around me and love them with the gospel and all of those things. But I know that one of the big hangups for us as we move toward one another in that way, particularly as we move toward people who maybe don't believe in the gospel, is that we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. We don't know mm. the answers to the questions. And in fact, I might have known the answer a year ago, but I forgot. <laughs> uh, so how can we respond when we're asked a question when we feel like we don't have the answer? And how can we just maintain that posture of humility that would welcome people to ask us questions that are hard? I would say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. That's part of being humble. That's part of discipleship. And discipleship is not always about knowledge. It's about gaining biblical perspective, which a lot of times comes through experience and viewing those experiences through a gospel lens. So there's a lot of times people ask me questions and I have no idea. And there's a humility there to say, I don't know, but let's find out together. Or I don't know, let me check. Or Mm -hmm. I don't know, but this is the experience I've had through the gospel lens. And just having that perspective of it's okay that I don't know. And I have a huge fear of man. And that has broken down lots of boundaries and um, walls between me and other people because it's okay that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to live there and say, I don't know, but I love you. God loves you. And we'll do it together. 
I have a huge fear of man too. Is it like really hard to go on this podcast? Cause you're Ugh, like, Oh my gosh, terrible <laughs> <laughs> story of my life. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Uh, well, I really appreciate just your posture in the way that I feel like I can come to you with any question. And I almost like know that you're going to be like, I don't know, but let's look at it together. Mm-hmm. And that's just a real comfort to me that you're not relying on your own knowledge, but that you're always looking to scripture, that you're always pointing the women who you're coming alongside back there, even if you do know. Mm-hmm. So what about mm-hmm. you, Susie? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it actually hits close to home because when I first became a Christian and wanted to start mentoring others as I you know, grew in my faith, I had this false belief that I couldn't mentor others or disciple others until I knew all of the answers. And so at that point in my life, when I was in college, it felt like I had to read all of the like hot Christian books on the market. And until I had read and fully understood all those books, I didn't feel like I was qualified to come alongside another person. So there was that stage of my life. And then there was the stage of my life where I thought, well, once I go to seminary and have a seminary degree, then I'll be qualified. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm kind of glad that God used that messed up way of thinking to bring me to seminary because I really value and appreciate my time there. But really and truly, all of the best discipleship moments that I can think of in my life had nothing to do with reading all the right books or going to seminary. They were more just regular life on life things where... I learned from people in very ordinary ways. And I can think of two moments. The first one is um, a stranger discipled me one day when I was frantic and anxious about um, my work day. I was teaching third grade at the time and I wasn't ready for the day. And I was trying to buy supplies at Walmart at like six in the morning before I had to go to school and teach. And the checkout lady at Walmart saw my frantic nature and totally out of the blue stopped me and said, honey, you need to stop, slow down, fix your eyes on Jesus and move on. Amen, sister. And that you must was, have been in the South. I was. I was in yeah. Carolina. <laughs> I was right. say, she called me honey. She, did she say bless your heart at the end? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But, um, but she did call me honey. But anyway, um, that was over 20 years ago. And I still remember that. And those words still ring in my head when I have that kind of frantic moment. Mm. And, I, and I can wow. hear her voice saying, slow down, fix your eyes on Jesus. I love that. And then the other one that's like, you know, you don't need a seminary education to buy a trash can. But one time, uh, a different mentor, actually a cousin of mine, invited me to go to Lowe's with her. She was probably, oh, 10 years older than me, and she was just starting her family, and I was, it was a summer in my college years, and she invited me to go to Lowe's with her, and I thought she was a great person, so I, of course, said yes, and the reason why we went to Lowe's was so that she could buy a trash can, and that experience taught me about stewardship. It taught me about how we can glorify God in the most mundane, ordinary ways, so God can use us no matter what. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of believers. And if we open ourselves up to relationship with others, discipleship happens, mm-hmm. regardless of if you know all the answers, if you've read all the right books or, or whatever. I completely echo what you are saying. I think actually I have heard from women who I am doing life alongside that some of the moments that feel the absolute messiest are the ones that the Lord chooses to mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. uh, by his grace. 
you know, I want to do this more. I want to do this all the time. I really wrestle with what it looks like to be doing that. Obviously we're doing that with our kids. We're all moms here. Mm. We're doing that with our spouse. We're engaging in each other's lives in this capacity. We're doing that with members of our church. I see you guys doing that all the time, but I also know that you have priorities in your life and there's this concept that people talk about a lot. People talk about setting boundaries in relationships. Is it biblical to set boundaries? And like, as we're going about these relationships, it's really wanting to intentionally engage each other, really wanting to welcome each other in and share life together. What does it look like to do that responsibly while maintaining your priorities? When I was thinking about boundaries, the word limitations kept popping up to me. And that seemed like a better word for me to think about that question because I am a limited person. God is infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful and constantly faithful and loving, but I am limited. So yes, I think there are boundaries or limitations in uh, what I can do and be as a discipler to another person. If you look at the scriptures, even Jesus had, he had Mm. three people that he was super close to, and then he had the rest of his disciples. And then he had a lot of other people who he had very meaningful interactions with, but in a much more limited way. So when he was on earth, he was in some ways, you know, bound by being fully man in that sense. And as sinful human beings, we are more limited. It's right for us to have those who we are very close to, to have our priority people, often people in our family or, you know, friends that you've had for a long time, or, you know, those things can change over time. And then you're going to have people that you reach out to in a significant way, but maybe not as often. And then there's people who you're going to have significant, meaningful interactions with, but they might be one or two off chance moments, like the woman at Walmart for me. Mm -hmm. And yet that was a potent experience. It Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I think, you know, that's part of what I think about with boundaries and limitations. And I do think another part of it, which we've touched on already is, we are never trying to have people look to us as the problem solver, as the answer, as the one with all the wisdom. Another thing that we can do in that is to point people to Jesus mm-hmm. and to know that he is the one who is all wise. He is the one who is all knowing. He is the one who is constantly faithful, always there for us, whose love will never fail. And so that's another thing that I think even in our human weakness and our human limitations, we can almost exemplify how Jesus is different than us in the way that he is not weak and sinful like us, but he is perfectly able to always be with other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. That's Mm -hmm. so helpful for me. Yeah, I would say when I think of boundaries, what came to my mind was don't let them be more dependent on me than Mm. they are of God. What a good boundary. That is a good word. If we're going to talk about a boundary, let's talk about that. Boundary can seem negative, but in this context, I just think, you know what? You have to be dependent on the Lord Mm -hmm. first and foremost. And so a lot of times if I have people call me or ask me questions, like, have you taken that to the Lord first? What, you know, Hmm. how was your quiet time today? What... Where did you see God meeting you? And really to live transformed lives of love and submission to God and not to me. Uh Yes, I'm here as a sister in Uh Christ to love you well. But first and foremost, you have to be dependent on the Lord. Uh Then I'm here for you. But your first point of contact should be with him. Yeah, that really illuminates what you guys were talking about in relation to humility 
one of the things that I found so helpful in understanding my position before God is embracing my limitations. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're constantly looking for ways to point women to the Lord. And I think that's the best way that you can serve them. And you guys have served me in that way so well. Sometimes I look at what you're doing and I think, wow, even though I see you embracing your limitations, how on earth do you continue to pour out to the degree that you do? Because I'm not meaning to puff you up, but I see you, Megan, making coffee for coffee break (laughs) and uh, coming to coffee break, leading discussion, leading community group, hosting community group, having book discussion at your house. (laughs) It's an open door at my house. (laughs) Having me over for lunch and asking me questions like, what's your story? And me talking for two hours. Uh, (laughs) And Susie, your home is the party place for for everybody at CRC like we're constantly going to your home and having community group and Drew teaches Sunday school and I know there's sacrifices even for you in the way that Drew is serving and leading at our church what sustains your ability to pour out to the degree that you do I think part of what it is for me is seeing myself as a messy and broken person who also needs help that the people that I might be pouring out to also can pour into me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that because as somebody who has been with you, I see you and I want to serve you, but it's hard to know how to do that because I haven't seen your season of life. I'm like, I really want to help Susie, but I don't really know how because I'm not in that space. So I'm just constantly like, let me just buy you a gift card. (laughs) Well, I loved that gift card and I did use it. I did get my almond milk mocha decaf latte last week. Thank you. Older women do love our gift cards. Yes. (laughs) But tell me in that vein, what could that look like for someone who is maybe younger than you wanting to get around you in proximity? Like how could we serve you? People are serving each other and me all the time without even knowing it. One good story comes to mind. Last year, I was meeting with a girl. We went on a walk, a college student, and she wanted to process an issue she was having with her mom. And so I said, sure. And we you know, were talking about it. And at the end of the conversation, maybe she was helped in the conversation. I don't know. But what I do know is that I was hugely helped because I'm in the thick of parenting school-aged kids And here I was talking to a Christian college student who was processing her relationship over the years with her mom. Wow. And I'm seeing change and growth and maturity. And this woman, this, you know, she was probably 20, 21 years old, this thoughtfulness and intentionality she had in wanting to see God at work in her relationship with her mom. And it was so encouraging to me. So the fact that she shared what she was going through at that moment. And then I got a glimmer of how God has been at work in her relationship with her mom over the years um, was so hopeful and encouraging to me. So I think things like that happen all the time, or even just, you know, much more simply, um, a lot of times when I disciple people, or I even have a hard time using that word, Yeah, when I'm hanging out with people, mentor people, whatever, when you're um, just being yourself. Yeah, that's right, because it's an identity, not an activity. But I, I do often invite them into my life and what I'm doing. So there was a season in, our, in my life that we lived in Philadelphia, and we had small kids. And the women that I was uh, meeting with then often would need to go to the grocery store. But when you live in a city, you rarely have a car. Right. But I had a car because I had three small children. 
So it was this beautiful exchange where we would talk while we were driving to the grocery store. They would put one of my infants or toddlers in their grocery cart and I would have one and then I'd have one try, you know, trailing behind. And so they would help me. They would bless me. Mm. And I love it when we can help each other in practical ways. Like maybe talking to me is helpful for them for some reason, but the fact that they're willing to put a two-year-old in their grocery cart and go through the aisles with me is such a blessing to me. That's really good. I'm just trying to figure out a way mentally where I could be a blessing with three kids. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Oh, what do you Prayer. Prayer. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Pray. I think that is what I feel like sustains me and my ability to pour out is just simple. I'm a simple person. I'm learning today. Uh, the simplicity of prayer. It's mm. it's um, the real work of discipleship for me. It's the reliance on God and not myself. Because so often I can go into situations and think, look at me. I had all the right words today and be like, no, that was the Holy Spirit. And recognizing that and seeing my dependence and need on God. And it's that discipleship is ultimately the work of this Holy Spirit and not mm-hmm. of me. And that we are his vessels. And loving people is just an outflow of that love of the Heavenly Father. And so it's that communication that I I have with him on a daily basis that I'm able to love others because he loved me first. And I think a practical way, we had some people in our community group who came over once a week to do their laundry and it was fine. Like people were like, you have people at your house all the time doing laundry. And I was like, no, it's great because they take care of our dog. They would walk our dog. They Mm -hmm. would love on our dog all day while we're gone. And then they would bring us meals. And if you know me, you know, I don't like to cook. So that was a huge blessing to me of like, thank you so much for letting us use your washing machine. And it was like, anytime, cook me a meal anytime. Or they had extra veggies at their farm stand. They're like, oh, our CSA today, we won't be in town. Or can you take our extra vegetables? It was like, sure, great. Like to me, it was those little things. It's like just bringing me a meal or saying, can we do anything while we're at your house? Like Uh you're not here, we're doing laundry. Can we fold your laundry for you? Mm -hmm. And if I left a basket of towels on the couch, I'd come home, they were folded. So just those kind of like that reciprocation of like loving Mm -hmm. one another. And yeah, yeah. I think so much of what I've heard you guys say today is you're growing in your understanding of who God is and you're making yourselves accessible to other people who are around you. And as you do that, it pours over into Mm -hmm. the lives of, people who are around you and so that's why I really appreciate the way you guys have done that practically and then even this conversation and I hope it's an encouragement to women who are more mature to just make yourselves accessible in those simple ways to share your life and for younger women I don't know that I'm a younger woman what am I (laughs) you're a young thing (laughs) (laughs) people who are younger or less mature like Mm. myself just to seek out opportunities to get time with women who know God and engage them intentionally so thank you for doing that I would love to know how you go about doing that differently now at the age you are now in the current state of maturity what does it look like for you to make disciples now maybe versus like when you were my age or when you were in college like you mentioned Susie like how have you seen yourself grow in your ability to share life with other believers? I think I feel a much greater sense of freedom in interacting with women now because I know that it's not about them being impressed with me, Mm. but it's about them seeing God 
better and more clearly and developing their love for him and them knowing in a bigger way his love for them. So if I can be part of that, great, but I don't need to impress people. And so that's given me a huge amount of freedom to just enter into people's lives. That'll preach. What about you, Megan? Yeah, I think it goes back to my fear of man. I think it's trusting in the Lord more than I fear man. And I think I've, by the grace of God, have grown in that and just connection and being more intentional. I think in my younger years, I was too afraid. And so it's like, I'm not going to be intentional. And if you're not intentional, there's, you know, less likely there's opportunities to connect with others. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just showing up, you know, I, that's my gift. I just show Mm -hmm. up. I don't Mm -hmm. know what to say. I don't have the answers and I fear you, but I'm here, sister. (laughs) I am showing up. You're terrifying me right now. I am showing up. Um, But it's just taking that, um, it's like, it's a responsibility. I'm taking that responsibility Mm -hmm. to prepare It's actually both of our responsibility, all of our responsibility to prepare each other for the glory of Christ and for to have that eternal perspective, to be like, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. This is about having daily opportunities to serve along someone else. And in the mess and muck of it, he meets us there and loves us. And ultimately, he's glorified through that. And so I've had to get over myself and it's been hard. It's still there. It comes up from time to time. It's something I have to rely on God about and just be like, okay. I'm just going to show up. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to show up. And if I can take that step of faith and trust and not fear, then God always meets me and I can always see his faithfulness in it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for showing up uh, for me. Thank you for your willingness to share with me, even though I'm not going to be here that long, even though I long to be here longer. We'll see what the Lord has. One of the things that I'm so grateful for is the way that you guys have generously offered to come alongside me in the work that the Lord set before me here at Journey Women. And as I was kind of asking for your feedback, how we could do that better, uh, Susie, you actually suggested to ask the question, what's one question you would encourage women to ask an older woman or maybe somebody else in their proximity who they're doing life alongside, maybe even today after listening to this conversation that would help them process. So Susie, what's the answer to your question? You know, why'd you have to do that to me? (laughs) Um, That's a really good idea. Thank you. Um, I was thinking a lot about that because I knew that I was the one who suggested that idea. And I think the question that came to mind is, if you were going to talk to an older woman, asking that person, what did God's grace look like for you when you were my age? So whether you're in high school, in college, in grad school, starting a family, uh, engaged, married, whatever. What did God's grace look like for you when you were going through this stage of life? Mm. Such a great question. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to hear the answer to that when I ask you next time I invite you to come to the store with me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I gladly take the bow in my cart. (laughs) How about you, Megan? Uh, um, In my younger years, it it might have been more like, ask me about me. And I think the hmm. older I've gotten, ah, it's yes. been more about like, ask me about where I've seen God's faithfulness grow me and about his story, about my story inside his story. Not so much about my story anymore, but more about his story and how my story is weaved inside of that. So I think just being able to tell of God's faithfulness of saying, yeah, back in the day or when I was your age, this is where I was and this is where God, like, he met me there and he was faithful and being able to turn around and look back on that 
Man, I am so excited about these conversations uh, that I'm going to have with you guys as I just kind of sit on your doorstep and wait (laughs) for the opportunity. But truly, truly, what a grace you are to me. I had no expectation of coming up to New England and finding a host of mentors, really unlike any other time in my life. That is just evidence of God's grace. You guys challenge me. Uh, to know God, to love God. You challenge me to look to his word. You challenge me to love other people and to pour out grace because, oh man, you've been so patient and gracious with me up until this point. So thank you so much for doing that. Love you guys. Love you too. Thanks for having us. We're glad you're here. That's a wrap, y'all. Our prayer for this series really has been that it will encourage you to go there for and press into relationships with women in your local context with the goal of making disciples. We came across this review from, I'm quoting her words here, not mine, an older woman on iTunes who said, thank you so much for this new series on discipleship. Your question about the longtime Christian who feels shame as we navigate this call to disciple and don't know how was spot on. I felt like you knew my story. Your podcast is cheerleading me on to persevere and remind me that we all have value because of whose we are, Daughters of the King. Thank you, thank you, older woman, for this precious feedback. We find it so helpful in knowing how to serve you guys and it also serves the dual purpose of helping get the podcast into the hands of other women who might find it a helpful resource for the seasons and challenges that they are facing today so you'll know we are taking a break for the next three weeks i already mentioned that but i just want to remind you we'll be recording and preparing for our next series which will launch on march 30th Be sure to find us on socials at Journey Women Podcast so you won't miss upcoming announcements about what that series will entail. This episode was edited by Christine Brandt. We are so grateful for her and for you. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. Can't wait to see you here March 30th.